From the classroom to the emergency room, OR and beyond, you're joining Trauma ICU Rounds with your host, Dr. Dennis Kim. Welcome to Trauma ICU Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Kim. Earlier this week, we released an episode on discontinuing mechanical ventilation, and I immediately received several emails, comments, and questions regarding the utility of the Rapid Shallow Breathing Index and the original Yang and Tobin paper. More specifically, folks have asked for clarification of what I meant when I stated that this particular integrative index has not been shown to decrease duration or weaning of mechanical ventilation. So over the next 10 minutes for today's rapid rounds, let's take a closer look at the original paper which was published in the NEJM, Volume 324, Issue 21, May of 1991. And in my opinion, this is an interesting paper and was carried out at a time when decisions regarding extubation were left entirely to the physician team and consensus regarding the optimal method of weaning a patient from ventilatory support didn't really exist. And there were certainly problems with subjectivity and difficulty standardizing the approach to discontinuation mechanical ventilation, which led to the development of objective measures for estimating the success of weaning from mechanical ventilation. But this is one of those papers that, yeah, if you have the time, does take a few reads to fully grasp the methodology and actual meaning of the results. So the major objective of this single-center prospective observational study was to determine if two integrative indices, the RSBI and another index, the CROP index, which stands for Compliance, Rate, Oxygenation, and Pressure, were more accurate than more traditional predictive indices that we discussed on our previous rounds, including minute ventilation or the maximal inspiratory pressure. And to this end, the study authors performed a prospective observational analysis of 100 medical intensive care unit patients who were intubated for an average of about a week, clinically stable, and deemed ready to undergo a weaning trial per their physician who was blinded to the study design and measurements. TP's trials were used in this study as they so oftentimes were back then, and measurements of minute ventilation and frequency were performed while a patient underwent an SBT at around the one-minute mark using a handheld spirometer. There are no data in this paper regarding the duration of the SBT, and unlike how we perform modern-day SBTs, TP's trials were used during the course of this study. And of note, when we do measure the RSBI, particularly these days, most patients are on pressure support, studies have shown that pressure support ventilation will underestimate the RSBI, so give you a more favorable number than when patients are placed on a T-piece. Of the 100 patients, 60 were successfully weaned, meaning extubated, and they sustained spontaneous breathing for greater than or equal to 24 hours post-extubation, whereas 40 were unsuccessfully weaned, and this had a couple of meanings. Unsuccessful weaning meant, number one, they were placed back on the vent prior to being extubated, or number two, they required reintubation within the first 24 hours following extubation. Weaning failure was based on the presence of objective ABG values such as a low pH, high PCO2, or 
subjective clinical criteria for systemic or cardiorespiratory failure like diaphoresis, increased respiratory efforts, or the presence of tachyarrhythmias. Among these 40 patients that failed, 70% were placed back on the vent and not extubated on the basis of objective ABG results taken at the time of the SBT. And that's something that we actually, in modern-day critical care, don't really do very often. Uh, Check ABGs, that is, during an SBT. In terms of deriving a threshold value for the RSBI and CROP, 36 patients were used as a derivation group to determine the success of weaning, and the remaining 64 patients formed the validation group. Now, just before we get into the results and how to interpret them, a word on the accuracy of the RSBI or how to interpret the accuracy of diagnostic tests in general. So in this particular study, the sensitivity refers to the proportion of actual positives that are correctly identified as such. In other words, the true positives. And specificity measures the proportion of actual negatives that are correctly identified as such or the true negative rate. So in the context of the RSBI, sensitivity refers to the probability that a patient who successfully weans will have an RSBI less than or equal to 105 breaths per minute per liter and specificity is the probability that a patient who fails weaning will have a RSBI greater than 105. Whereas the positive predictive value is the probability of successfully weaning when the RSBI is less than 105, and the negative predictive value, which in this study was very, very high, is the probability of failing weaning when the RSBI is greater than or equal to 105. And so you would think that the predictive values may be more helpful than sensitivity and specificity alone when it comes to a diagnostic test. But it's important to remind ourselves that PPV, or positive predictive value, and NPV, negative predictive values, they're not exactly the best measures to assess the quality or utility of a weaning predictor since they're going to vary based on the basis of the pretest probability or prevalence. And given that likelihood ratios aren't affected in the same way, and for those of you who are fans of the JAMA Rational Clinical Exam Series, you know that oftentimes when it comes to diagnostic test accuracy, likelihood ratios are utilized. And these are probably a better indicator of the probability of weaning success or failure in our ventilated patients, and we'll come back to this in just a minute. So in terms of results, the RSBI was found to have a higher sensitivity of 97%. Again, this means the probability that a patient who successfully weans will have an RSBI less than or equal to 105, but was not very specific, whereas the positive predictor was low, and as I mentioned earlier, the negative predictive value was very high at 95%. And again, this is the probability of weaning failure when the RSBI is greater than 105 ROC curves were also generated with the RSBI demonstrating the largest area under the curve compared to crop minute ventilation and maximal inspiratory pressure. So as far as the Yang and Tobin paper are concerned, the sensitivity of the RSBI is very high, as is the negative predictive value. So the probability that a patient who successfully weans will have an RSBI less than 105 is high, as is the probability of failing when the RSBI is greater than 105. 
Now, it's important to bear in mind that weaning failure, again, was variably defined in the study to include not just patients who required reintubation, but also those patients who didn't tolerate their SBT on the basis of objective ABG or subjective physical exam data. Now, further clarity comes from a couple of subsequent studies, one systematic review and another abation analysis of multiple RSBI studies. And when data from the original Yang and Tobin study were used to calculate likelihood ratios, the positive likelihood ratio was 2.7 and the negative likelihood ratio was 0.05. And this really indicates that there was only a small increase in the probability of weaning success in patients with a positive RSBI, whereas there was a large increase in the probability of weaning failure among patients with a negative RSBI. So, take-home points in terms of the original Yang and Tobin paper. I think the big thing here is that this study was done at a time when the weaning and decisions regarding potential extubation and discontinuing of the vent were not standardized or protocolized. Also, the method of performing an SBT was very different than how we do SBTs at the present time. Key point here is that in terms of the RSBI and its utility in predicting extubation success or failure, it's much better at identifying patients who will have a weaning failure. But again, it's difficult to understand what that means. Does that mean they were just placed back onto a control mode of ventilation? Or is it that they were extubated and then required reintubation? The other final and major take-home point again here is that there is no one value that is going to predict who or and who will not pass a spontaneous breathing trial. So please use numerous sources of data and make sure that you're looking at not just subjective, but objective clinical criteria as well when making decisions on whether or not to discontinue mechanical ventilation. That's it for today's Rapid Rounds. If you like what you hear, you know what to do. Until next time, keep reading, take care of yourselves and one another.